welcome to The Golfing Mind, the podcast which looks at the game of golf in general and where possible we examine the mental game of golf and how it can impact us, how we can learn from it and how we can improve it. But as always, golf is the main topic of conversation. And with my co-host today, Mike Kershaw, uh, we're going to be talking about college golf. Now, college golf, you think, how can that be an interesting topic? What does college golf have to do with the average player? Well, college golf is, for many, um, the academy where they transition from being good amateurs to great amateurs and potentially professionals. But college golf really only exists, really only exists in one country, and that's uh, the United States. Now, other universities have college golf teams, but I think from this podcast show, you'll learn some of the differences. Some of them are quite... Uh, Quite subtle, but the majority are, are quite extreme. Uh, I'm delighted to welcome my co-host this week, our uh, Mike Kershaw. Morning, Robin. Nice to see you and hear from you. So yeah, you too. And I hope I hope you appreciate that I haven't made some dig about your main golfing achievement just being the East Lancashire under 14 long drive championship. <laughs> no, no, no. I, but look, there are there are a few greater greater achievements in my golfing life than that i have to say uh, we're going to be talking today about college golf which is very interesting and obviously i have a personal sort of connection to college golf not only because i played it in the uk but but of course jenny my wife actually went on a golf scholarship to the university in the us so i um back in back in the mid 80s um, and so I, I'm relatively familiar with the process over there, and it is very interesting. And it, as you say, it's a very contrasting process they go through in the US to what we did over here. Indeed, that's the case. And what's interesting is I, if you look at um, college golf in America, you have the big universities, and they go they actively scout from around the world to find great players to bring glory and honor to the university. And uh, you look at some of the big ones, Ohio, Texas, they they produce some amazing players. If you look at um, other countries, now I think a good example would probably be South Korea. They don't have a college system, so their players go to America, but they have these golf academies where they turn out excellent golfers who all have a kind of a cookie-cutter swing, as it's called. And the United Kingdom... We don't have. Can you think of one college in the United yeah. Kingdom that you would go to as a golfer because you wanted to play golf? Absolutely. Yeah. No. There are. You know. Look. Let's not. Let's not um, uh, detract detract from the fact that there they, they, they made huge strides in this in the UK in college system in terms of golf. Strathclyde has a really amazing. Uh, scholarship and sponsorship system. Sterling. I mean, it has to be mainly the Scottish ones. St Andrews. You know, you can get, uh, but but Strathclyde and Sterling, from memory. So my son, as you know, played in the Loughborough team, Loughborough University, very very well known for sporting excellence and stuff. Um, and its golf team was 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 right up there. But 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 Strathclyde and, and Sterling are where all the the really good amateur golfers in the UK tend to head if they want to go to a UK university as opposed to going to to uh, US. And and many of the of the leading boy golfers so junior golfers in the uk do get the opportunity to go to america and a lot of them um a lot of them do pretty well there i think uh you know but you know the 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 demand is is, is certainly there and but you have to be very good uh, you know i think a lot there's quite a lot of 
junior golfers in the UK that I've come across who've gone to the US and frankly they're not they're not prepared for it they're not quite good enough I mean a few are Rob uh, Colin Montgomery obviously was one who went over and you know there's quite a lot of the of the current intake who did that but um it's hard I mean it, getting a getting in and b it's expensive because even if you get a scholarship you don't get necessarily a full scholarship and the fees are sort of 50 odd thousand dollars to seventy thousand dollars a year there so it's quite punchy money well I, I look i've got a couple of theories on this one of my theories is america is by nature a meritocracy you work hard you do well and there's a great respect or admiration for people who have worked hard to achieve their success so there's less of a class culture when it comes to taking playing golf they take it very very seriously from a very early age you've got the american junior golf association where these young kids are competing week in, week out, week in, week out. The question I used to be asked sometimes was why historically do the Americans do better in the singles in the Walker Cup and the Ryder Cup? Historically, they do. And I'm convinced it's because their whole college career and even post-college amateur career is playing very competitive golf. But what I find, what I can't figure out, maybe you've got a thought on this, American university golf has played stroke play majority of its stroke play in the united kingdom for example i think it's almost all match play when you're playing most of its match play not a lot of stroke play so you'd think that the europeans would have more match play practice and yet in reality the americans i think are just more used to playing under constant pressure correct and i think that's the key thing now as i said earlier jenny my wife went to she got a and incidentally you know i know i've like won the East Lancashire under 14 long driving championship. And don't everything. I know it? And don't but, I know it? But boy, I mean, I'm not even the best golfer in my family and I'd won that. Uh, my wife, uh, Jenny, was uh, England girls and then and then she won a proper tournament, the, the Hampshire Rose, which is a very big amateur event, uh, before being approached by the University of South Florida to say, would you like to a golf scholarship and and go to, to Florida and play college golf? So that's what she did. Um, and every what she was just, I mean, again, having played county golf, junior and county girls golf in, in the UK to suddenly get thrown into the US system. And this was for, bear in mind, this is not knocking on 40 years ago. So it's got even more intense, I think, since then um, was a was quite a shock because every week she was under pressure to qualify to the team. So basically, there's a tournament every week that they would fly you to. And, and the previous week, you would be qualifying out of all the squad, of which there might be 30 or 40 players on a, on a, on a squad, to, to qualify to be the travelling team of, I think, 12 that would go to each tournament. And these are regional and then national. But this happened every week. And every week she was up against, you know, all players playing their heart out. And so talk about having to sort of deal with pressure, and the disappointment of not qualifying and feeling you're, let, you're letting yourself down and you've got all this, it, you know, it's a, it's a very intense system. Now, if you're playing that week in, week out, how can you not be some more tournament tough than the guys generally and certainly at that time where we're just playing friend, relatively friendly matches every week? Where it doesn't really matter if you get if you got beat. No, no, I agree. No, I look, I, I agree with you. And I think that if you look at the the uh, and a friend of mine, I've got one or two friends who've got sons now in the American collegiate uh, college system, and they're up at six. They're in the gym doing calisthenics, not strength training. They're stretching for fifteen minutes, and then they're doing um, swing specific 
exercise with rubber bands and then they will sort of go on a breakfast and then they'll go down to the range and then yeah. they'll go to for an hour and a half and then they go to class at 9.30 and then at 12 o'clock they meet with a coach and they talk through this, that and the next thing. Yeah. So I, I, I think from that point of view, you're going to definitely have your golf head. But the, the curious thing is I was based in Florida for a couple of years in the winter when I was writing some books and in a astonishingly good course called The Concession, which is probably oh, yeah. the finest golf course I've played in, in Florida and why it's not one in the top 10 in uh, in the in America. I mean, it's just phenomenally tough. And they had the NCAA sort of championship there. So there was, I'm, I'm absolutely certain John Ram was one of the guys, um, but I can't remember for certain. But I remember they were hitting the ball like professionals. I mean, I remember there's one hole, 570 yards, and, uh, you know, in a good day with three good shots, I might get onto the green, but the green was elevated. And I remember seeing this kid off the back tee, which I'd never played off because it was too far away, um, hit a drive. And then he hit what I think was a four or a three iron onto the green. And I was slack jawed. And um, the level of talent there is just phenomenal, but not many make it into the pro ranks, which tells you how tough that must be. Oh, yeah. And incidentally, John Rahm was, I think he had the best college record of any golfer behind Tiger Woods, actually, when he was at college. He, well, was, would he was the real deal. And um, and yeah, but, it, you know, it's a, it's a phenomenal uh, system that you get put into. And I think it's not dissimilar to uh, the tennis um, the tennis system that they have over there as well. I mean, it, you know, that that, that country is dedicated takes its sports so seriously it is dedicated to creating great sportsmen and it does but you know you could hardly contract the, the way you described that you know they wake up you know six o'clock you know calisthenics and and all that it could hardly be more contrasting with the london university golf team of 1982 or, or indeed if i may say the which, surrey university golf team i played for in 1976 which, where it was not unknown on a Friday evening in the bar for someone to shout, does anybody play golf? We're a man short for tomorrow. And I remember yeah. one game we were playing against the uh, the British Army. And it wasn't the Army golf team. It was a social game against a local camp. So we're playing against officers and people. It was eight aside. And we were really struggling to raise a team. And there was a girl who had joined the golf society. And we eventually got down to her like number 38, and we said, "Are you? can you play golf tomorrow? She said, oh, yes. And we said, we're playing the Army. She went, oh, wonderful. We said, what's your handicap? She goes, well, I don't really have one. I just kind of play for fun with my mum. And we said, that's not a problem. Don't don't mention your handicap when we get there. And she said, well, I can normally knock it around to about 100. I said, we said, that's great, that's great. Just come with your arm in a sling, pretend you've got a broken arm, and say you'll play anyway. And we turn up at the golf course, and so there's seven guys and this girl, and the army guys turned up, and they all looked and said, "Oh, who's she?" We said, "Oh, she's in the team. She's a very good golfer." Um, and not one of the army guys wanted to play against her because they were terrified of losing to a girl. So we use that to our tactical advantage. We put her out with a good player, uh, but and no, you know, well, you know, we, we would 
Uh, we weren't never quite. We weren't quite at the stage of shouting around the bar. Does anyone play golf? Because London obviously had a lot of colleges, as LSE and Imperial and Kings and University College and stuff. So we were the kind of the amalgam. So we had a decent squad, but you know the attitude was very much kind of you'd be out on the booze until two, run back, someone jump and jumps in someone's car at seven, get to the golf club for for eight you know often in the same clothes that you wore the night before and all of that stuff it was it was a very very different world to the one that they well, colored let, in but, America, but, or indeed many in many ways now even in the uk i think it's changed because they they do play they play competitive matches the bucks british universities system um encourages these matches between universities and there's and there's obviously the championship that happens every and it's won by you know, you'd be amazed how many really good golfers there are in the UK college system now, all with handicaps of plus three, plus four. But they're studying. It's, it's like the other difference here is in the US. I remember when Jenny went in the US, you had to pass an exam to get in for a start. So it, and they really took their academic stuff seriously. And Jenny was doing, I think, she was doing um, history and French in in a, a US university. And they weren't, if you didn't pass your exams and keep your grade average up, they called it, um, you weren't allowed to get on the team. You know, you were, you, you were held back. So they really take, it wasn't just golf, golf, golf. It was golf fitting around your studies. Whereas the slight difference now is these kids come to university here and they study golf. You know, there's like university degree in golf studies. Yeah, yeah. Of club management. And so actually they're learning, they're learning how to be a pro golfer through a degree. Now, whether that's, you know, whether that's a good idea or a, an expensive way of doing it, it could easily be with student loans and all the rest of it. Yeah. Um, I don't know. But, you know, it, that's a very different thing, learning, you know, studying golf as opposed to studying a proper degree and then fitting this in around, around um, your, your sport. So, that makes it even more impressive, these guys in the US. And they're not, you know, they're not just sportsmen. They're actually quite blend, you know, quite well-rounded individuals. And you look at the top guys, Spieth and Justin Thomas and Ram and, you know, uh, who are who are up there and were up there last weekend at the Masters. They've all come out of this college system. They're all well-rounded. They're all pretty intelligent. They're all they've all got a, a good with they understand how to deal with the media. They're articulate and all the rest of it. And I think that's because that system does help, genuinely help this. Well, I mean, do you think sportsmen? Tell me, is it Tony I don't think Tony Fino went to the through the university system. He's like your outlier. And I think you've got Justin Rose who went turned professional at 18. But yeah. less and less people are now coming into the pro ranks. From, from having not been fed into it through a through a, a even Tiger Woods played Stanford golf at Stanford University, but I thought it'd be quite fun for the benefit of the the listeners. Is I'm going to ask you five questions about your college golf experience, and just to give to give people and the answers you give will might will, will highlight question number one: Did you ever play golf with a hangover in a college match? I think it's more. More often did I ever not play golf with a hangover, okay. and and more more particularly did I ever play in the afternoon matches, having having had a fairly robust lunch. Yes, yes. So the same question was, so was, my, second, you, was my default setting, Robin. You've answered the second question because I was going to say, was alcohol ever consumed by any members of the team at lunchtime? Yes, and again, that's one of the great traditions 
And I think it sadly lost a little bit because obviously what we were doing in those days, in the, you know, was we, we were playing matches against clubs. We weren't playing against other universities. The odd one we played against Oxford and we played against Cambridge, but we would play otherwise. We'd play against Sunningdale or against the Berkshire or against these, you know, any of these great clubs down uh, in, in the south of England. And then we'd go on tours and you'd play against the scratch team, the, the best players in that club. So these were all scratch matches. They weren't, they weren't handicap matches. And and part of the whole tradition of it was the club hosting you and wanting them thinking that if they get a load of students there, they'll they'll out tour them at lunch by pouring copious amounts of alcohol down them and giving them Kimmel just before they go out. And okay. often, that was the case. I have to have to and say, and I'm sure I'm sure it backfired sometimes. It certainly did. Often the the boys, you know, the, the youngsters had already arrived. So quite quite okay. Question number three: Did you? ever as a team captain give a motivational talk to your team in the locker room before a match <laughs> <laughs> every time come on boys this is all about winning no no yeah. I mean, we would i mean actually i think you know probably similar to sort of alex ferguson or some of these great you know motivation it's lombardi's and people just uh, yeah all about all about winning well and, okay uh, next question were any two members of your team ever dressed the same <laughs> no, we didn't have a uniform. We, no, we didn't either. We didn't. That's, again, when you look at these college teams now, I mean, even again in the UK, it, you know, it, it's all moved on. And they and Harry's team at Loughborough, they had a really smart golfing strip. We 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 never did that. No, exactly. It was all very, but you know, carry our bags, and we didn't even have our own London University. No, no what they call stash. Uh, and, and 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 the final question was. Was getting to the golf course left up to your own devices? Hundred percent, hundred percent. Me too. Was, I mean, just like I, I remember your brother Nick telling me a story, and I don't know if this story is true or not, but I still think it's one of the funniest stories, and I've retold it. And he said, and maybe maybe it wasn't Nick, but the story goes along these lines: you'd get to the club you're going to be playing against about fifty minutes early, but you wouldn't go into the club; you'd park up about couple of hundred yards away and with about four minutes to spare you'd screech into the, the parking lot you'd all fall out the car grab clubs and stuff your, your hosts are waiting on the tee rather disappointed you make apologies you kind of all stagger up there putting your shoes on in the back of the car you get to the first tee and you say oh, i'm sorry and they go oh, who's your first pairing and you've already planned this but you go um and you point to two guys do you guys want to play together and the guy says well off you go and the first guy would walk on to the tee box and he'd say, oh, to the partner, have you got a ball? And the partner would throw a ball down and he would get the ball, but he wouldn't have a tee. And he'd get his driver out and then he'd just not even take a practice swing and then hit that ball off the first tee, off the deck. And the logic was if they split the fairway and hit 240 yards down the middle, they won the entire match generally. But he said, more often than not, it was bumped 30 yards into a bush. <laughs> it was, well, there, yeah, we talk about the mental game in this podcast, don't we? That, yeah. was, that was an attempt to get under the skin of the opposition yeah. by, by, by pretending to be something you're not. And that, yes, that was, uh, yeah, it was, they were, they were great times, I have to oh, say. Oh, they're great times. And, and great. But yeah, talk about screaming to the, to the, to the mat matches. You know, we would have, in terms of you know getting in a car and going at helpful leather now back in those days we would have we would have guys who had relatively crappy cars but they would 
floor it in all because we were always late. And I remember being in one. I mean, and, and the, there was some crazy driving. I mean, uh, a great friend of ours, Gorm Nielsen, who was actually craziest driver you've ever seen. I remember being in a car with him, racing to a club, going, yeah, we've got to get there, we've got to get there, step on it. And he was doing overtaking like you wouldn't believe, including one where I, I still remember this day, and I can't believe we were doing this. But it, it became very exciting because he was such a, he had a Golf GTI, he was such a good driver and it's such an exciting driver. But he was overtaking in crazy places. And at one point, we were overtaking about four cars at once, over going over a bridge or about approaching a bridge. And the, all, and the three guys in the car in the back were going, death, 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 <laughs> as, we, as we went over. They genuinely could have hit a car. I mean, I know, it just it was like, what are no. we doing? What are we doing? But that's, kind mean, of, that's life. And that's, that's, that's under 21, you know. There is yeah. a thing, isn't it? That over only over 25s really have any kind of sense of their own mortality. mortality. Yeah. And so at the age of 21, you think you're completely invincible and you do these crazy things. And that was one of the, you know, death, 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 death. Yeah, my, my, uh, I'll find before I wrap this up, I'll just tell you a story. I, I played for Surrey University Golf Society, golf team. And uh, we had these university, official university matches. And um, it was extraordinary. Um, because we played these university matches and we, in the afternoon there was a singles match and I had I'd never won a singles in my first year and I'm in my second year and I'm halfway through the season I still haven't won a singles and I used to be very good in the other matches but singles just got inside my head which kind of led me down this route on to studying the mental game and I remember playing St Thomas's Medical School and we get to the 10th tee and I'm five up and I'm playing against this medical student. I'm five up. And my captain is kind of walking down the 10th. And he looks across and goes, how's it going? And uh, the fellow, I'm, I was too polite to say anything, obviously. But the fellow I was playing against looked at my captain, a guy called Pat Bolton, said, oh, Robin's five up. And um, my captain said, oh, don't worry. He'll choke. The, <laughs> game, the game's as good as yours. <laughs> And you that, wouldn't, that wouldn't happen in the Ryder Cup, would it? It wouldn't happen in the Ryder Cup. And why it should have happened. And did you choke? I, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I did. And I mean, you lost. Yeah. Well, that kind of thing is. And that but is, it is. But I, 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 here's what I do think, Mike. And I think that if you're going to play golf throughout your life, not as a professional, there's a colossal amount to be gained by learning how to play social golf with your pals, to have a laugh and a joke. We used to play a thing called the Atlantic Cup, it was British against American. British guys that played British University golf, and a, a lot of American guys, some had played American golf. The American guys took it so seriously, they couldn't get, they couldn't let go of that winning is everything. There was one guy, a fellow called Matt Barr, who's been on the podcast, who was different. He'd played college football, so he'd got that out of his system. But to these other guys, winning was everything. In the evening, we'd be singing songs, playing practical jokes, doing pranks, having unofficial, you know, kangaroo courts. And we go around to the Americans' house and they're watching TV talking about what they're going to play the next day. Now, this doesn't mean knocking America because I love the culture of America, um, their golf particularly, wonderful, wonderful courses. But I just wonder, you know, if the college collegiate system, kids miss out on that part of the game. I don't know. And well, very possibly. They take, they take it, as we've said earlier, they take it incredibly seriously. I mean, and and to be fair, it's very expensive. So you kind of want them to take it seriously. That's what they're there for. They're there to learn how to be 
super excellent at this game, which we know is incredibly difficult. I mean, the other thing, just going back to when Jenny was there, that I found so extraordinary is that they're, even 35 years ago, they were measuring stats on every element of the game from the moment you started term to the end of the term and then would sit down and go, well, your driving average is 63%. Your fairways hit is that, you know, your, your, your greens in regulation is this, your up and downs is this, your bunker saves is this. And there, and they were building for the next term, all of these practice routines to try and improve those percent measurement, 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 measurement. And this is again, before computer, really in the eighties, before, apps or phones or internet or anything like that yeah we're writing it all down so yeah. and incidentally jenny who's obviously the best golfer in our family guess what her driving accuracy average was in the in the three years of university college golf at the university of south florida as a, as a percentage of hitting fairways percentage fairways hit i would say knowing jenny you'd be looking probably 80 85 percent 94 percent can you imagine that? 94%. 94 fairways out of every 100 you hit, you, you, you play, you hit on the fairway. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I think that was, I think it was actually the best in the whole of the US that time, at that period. Well, the, you know, there's an old saying, what gets measured gets, uh, what gets measured gets done, what gets rewarded gets repeated. And we, if we don't measure statistically, I talked to amateur golfers and first question, when they want to help in their putting uh, even elite amateurs, if they say they want help with the putting, the first question was, I'd say, how many putts did you take in your last round? And none yeah. of them can tell you. No. Amateur golfers particularly. Uh, well, there you go. Anyway, I thought, thought it was a, a, an interesting topic to to discuss through. And um, that's really it for this week. Um, as always, the Golfing Mind is about the game of golf in general. But we, we look to help those that want to improve the mental game. If you go to my website seagagolf.com there's a number of online training programs you can um purchase and uh, help to learn to understand to train yourself and develop your mental game but really that's it for this week mike um many thanks for joining us and we'll uh, speak with you next week mike thank you very much robin really enjoyed it as ever looking forward to talking to you next week okay until we meet again play good golf and have a wonderful wonderful week ahead all the best 